I've got two onions here, which I'm just going to finely chop. Hello, I'm Ramona Ali, and you're listening to the Ramadan edition of Things Unseen, the podcast for people of faith and those who are spiritually curious. In her kitchen in Birmingham, Mara White is busy preparing a simple dish for the iftar meal that ends each day of fasting during the Islamic month of Ramadan. Okay, that's ready for me to add the onions now. Iftar is a big social and communal affair for many Muslims, including me. And in the UK and globally, iftar meals can generate huge amounts of waste as families and mosques offer generous and lavish hospitality to one another during the holy month. General consumption increases substantially during this time and much leftover food can end up in the bin. Mosques and community centres that organise daily free iftar meals often use disposable plastic plates, cups and cutlery, all of which are thrown away at the end of every iftar gathering, along of course with piles of plastic water bottles. In this podcast, I'll be hearing from Muslims who are trying to change that, who have practical tips to share and who believe that eating and living more sustainably are at the heart of Ramadan. Mara White is in her 20s and is a vegan Muslim, teacher and activist. I asked her what she was cooking. So today I'm going to be making a potato and pea curry, uh, which is like really simple to make. All I have to do is chop up some onions, potatoes, pop them in the pan with some oil and a bit of frozen peas. Other than that, I'm just going to be, you know, sprinkling spices and using pre-chopped ginger and garlic. What spices are you putting in there? Um, with all curries, the three main spices you use is salt, chilli powder and turmeric. Um, you can also put in things like garam masala, um, cumin seeds, coriander. Uh, I'll be using fresh coriander as well. To be honest, I'm using tinned tomatoes. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, And it all sizzles just up makes together, the cooking, right? Yeah, it, it does, yeah. And it just makes the cooking process so much faster and easier. So I'm just going to take these onions into the pan over there. And of course you'll be using oil rather than any oh, yeah. anything like butter. Yeah, I'm going to be using sunflower oil. Lovely, sounds delicious. Is that a staple dish that you normally make for during Ramadan? Yeah, it is one of like a really simple and easy recipe. So if I want to do something quick, that's what I'll make, yeah. Why did you become a vegan? To be honest, there are like loads of reasons why I went vegan. I was quite conscious about my health. I haven't had a very good like relationship growing up with food. So when I was in my late teens, I started watching videos online on YouTube about uh, you know like healthy eating recipes and things like that. And a lot of vegan recipes used to come up, and um, I would watch those. And then I would learn from them because while they're cooking, they're talking about, you know, their reasons for being vegan. And that would that opened my eyes into other things like the animal cruelty side to it. It's not only to do with your diet. So as much as it means to refrain from eating any animal products whatsoever. So that means no meat, no chicken, no fish, eggs, dairy. It's a complete lifestyle being vegan. So you would refrain from even your clothing. So when I go to the shops, I would check labels if those shoes are made from leather I won't buy them uh, toiletries you know toothpaste mouthwash things like that you have to check if they're cruelty free so the whole point of being vegan is that you want to cause the absolute least 
possible amount of harm that you can. And as a Muslim, do you see a link between being vegan and your religious faith? I do, yes. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I did this for religious reasons, but if somebody else came up to me and wanted to ask, how can you justify being vegan while you are Muslim? Uh, There are literally so many things I can tell them. For example, the Prophet, peace be upon him, his diet was plant-based. You know, he ate uh, mostly just uh, dates and barley. And then there's also a verse in the Quran. I don't know it word for word, but it says that we were sent as, uh, Muslims were sent as stewards. So... In that sense, you would say that, you know, we're, we're supposed to kind of be like environmentalists, if, if you want to think of it like that. And um, obviously, one of the main contributions to global warming is the animal agriculture, the CO2 emissions from that. That is incredible. It's a way of life, yeah. So hu- it's a huge commitment, isn't it? Yeah, it feels good, though. And is it? A lot more difficult to be vegan during Ramadan, especially, you know, you get invited to like these iftar gatherings and you celebrate it with, with family and friends and even Eid as well. Yeah. So how, how difficult is it to be vegan uh, during this month? To be honest, during Ramadan, it can be quite uh, difficult if, if you're being invited to your family home or somewhere or to the mosque, uh, because it's not guaranteed that there will be vegan options although there is usually fruit and dates and things like that but I know from experience to take my own food and my mom always makes sure as well that we're taking food for me just because she's not me to sit there hungry when I first went vegan I don't know I just assumed that because I know that there are loads of Asian foods that are already vegan anyway like samosas pagoras things like that I would just assume that wherever I'm going to go there will be those things but they don't always have those things so we make sure that we take some with us yeah. oh, so you had to take your pack lunch with yeah, you to the star yeah, gatherings basically <laughs> it must have been difficult as well because your background is is Pakistani yeah. as well so growing up as a, a British Pakistani Muslim mm-hmm. you know meat is very much part and um, parcel of, of yeah. our daily lives yeah. isn't it um, a lot of Asians South Asians have that yeah. so Definitely. you know when you did decide to become vegan what did your family make of the decision uh to be honest at first my mum was kind of skeptical only because obviously all mothers they are quite um they worry about your health don't they that's the main thing like they want you to be okay and healthy and things so she thought okay if you're gonna not eat chicken and meat anymore what are you gonna eat and you're gonna lose weight and things like that so um, I had to explain to her, mom, I can get protein from other places, you know, and I, I'll still be healthy, don't worry. Yeah, to, to family, it was quite difficult. The aunties and uncles and grandparents, because they're from back home, they don't really like, they don't have that level of education that we do. And I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but in my culture, when you try to educate an adult, it can be seen as quite um, rude. I don't know how else to put it. They're kind of thinking, you know, are you trying to say that you as a youngster know better than me? You know, I've been eating meat my whole life and, I, you know, I'm fine and you're trying to tell me that it's not healthy. But they're all accepting of it now. That's the main thing. I was struck by what Mara said about the life of Prophet Muhammad. So I spoke to the imam and broadcaster, Ajmal Masroor, to find out more. When you come to looking at diet of the Prophet, peace be upon him, He was more vegetarian, actually, than carnivorous. Months would go by without him having touched or seen or even smelt meat. He never said no to it if it came to him, but he only took a little, as much as he would feel he needs. 
Ramadan, unfortunately, has become time of um, excess and indulgence when it comes to, unfortunately, the fasting Muslims. They abstain from eating and drinking for the whole day, but in the evening they binge eat from the moment they break their fast until they have to stop eating. And it does have a very detrimental impact on our health because it's the night time when you have eaten, you're doing least amount of exercise. So whatever you're eating is staying in your body and it's only storing up as problematic fat. And therefore, it's defeating the purpose. The idea of fasting is to learn how to restrain yourself, to control your appetite, to take control of your desires, your tongue, your eyes, your your hearing, everything about you. And if it if you're becoming indulgent with excessive food and wasteful food, then you've defeated the purpose. The alternative to this is the prophetic tradition. So eat less. There is a saying of the prophet, under normal circumstances, children of Adam, he said, need only a handful of food to keep their back straight. And when he said handful of food, he meant one morsel, one fistful. However, if you can't survive with one handful, most of us can't, and he understood that. Then he said, when you take a portion, think about your stomach. Divide your stomach into three parts. Fill one third with solid. Keep one third for liquid. And one third empty for air. That philosophy teaches us something very beautiful. It doesn't pressure our stomach to become bigger. He actually said the worst vessel a human can fill is his or her stomach. Very insightful for a man who was not a scientist. And that very philosophy is what Ramadan is about, is to train ourselves to be happy with little rather than to be greedy and in, become insatiable in our desire to have more and more and more. Next, I spoke to the best-selling author, Shalina Jan Muhammad. She is also vice president of Islamic marketing at Ogilvy, which builds brands with global Muslim consumers. I asked her what the research from Ogilvy is showing about attitudes towards reducing waste during Ramadan. I think for a lot of Muslims, when we start Ramadan, we think about the reasons that we're fasting. And in a lot of the research and insights work we've done, we found that actually people are preparing spiritually for the month that's coming. So in a study that we did called the Great British Ramadan, we found that 90% of people are preparing spiritually at least two weeks before Ramadan. And that means changing the way we think about the world around us. And of course, food for a month of fasting is paradoxically absolutely central to the way people are thinking about it. So people are going out shopping, you know, they're stocking up on the big staples. If you've ever been to a big supermarket in the UK or anywhere around the world that there's Ramadan, you'll see sort of 10 kilo bags of rice and, you know, 36 tins of chopped tomatoes and as much mango pulp as could feed a small village. And so people want to have really full tables, but... The converse of this is that we are also fasting because people will say they want to feel the hunger of those around them who don't have food to release themselves from the constraint of the physical and think more about the spiritual. 
And that paradox between these two things of the full table and the wanting to have less and to experience what others don't have seems to be at the heart of a really big tension that we just simply don't talk about in Ramadan. And when I was researching what happens to our food after Ramadan, I came across some data from the UAE and from Malaysia, which are obviously Muslim-majority countries, looking at the fact that food, the, the bin collections during Ramadan actually go up at least around a quarter to a third which is really mind-boggling if what we're saying is that we're fasting and therefore we're spending a lot less of our day eating and preparing food and we're trying to think about hunger around the world and we're trying to free ourselves from the physical. And this paradox just totally baffled me. And so I was looking in with some of our clients that work on food waste at Ogilvy at what might be actually happening to all the food that we're preparing with those bursting tables and really honestly the tables do burst don't they it's like everyone's got to have their favorite and you've got to have a starter and a main course and a pudding and then you've got to repeat that later in the day and so one of the brands that we work with is love food hate waste and they have a whole range of initiatives about how to reduce that food waste and so this this is a puzzle that I've been trying to unlock about how we keep the Ramadan feeling but we reduce the waste, which is completely contrary to the Ramadan ethic. And as you say, it is a puzzle and it's a really difficult balance, isn't it? Because there's a huge global Ramadan culture that focuses on special dishes for the holy month, you know, big meals with freshly cooked food, you know, lavish hospitality at the end of a day of fasting. So how do we even begin to change that culture? So this is a really great question because we're not necessarily asking people to give up something that's bad because actually we're trying to find a balance between two really important religious principles. One is to reduce waste. So we know in the Quranic teachings, asraf, which is mentioned in the Quran as waste, is something that is really loathed by God and which you know every grain of rice is going to speak up against us on the day of judgment. But on the other hand, we also have the very compelling Islamic principle to feed people who are fasting and all the rewards that come with that and to give generously to those around you. So how do you balance these two things? And if you look at places like Love Food and Hate Waste and some of the work that we're doing with them, sometimes it can be really simple things like... We all know that old adage, your eyes are bigger than your stomach in Ramadan, right? So it's like, just cook a little bit less. Um, Or if you do cook it, make sure you're giving some of it to somebody else. If you do have leftovers, and I think the most difficult thing is when you kind of have a little bit of everything left over, is there a way that perhaps you can gather them? You know, Indians have the Thali concept, for example, or if you kind of want to go a Japanese bent, you could go for a bento box and you kind of collect them all together. You know, there are these kind of little tricks that you can pick up. You can freeze leftovers, which can be very helpful, or you can advance freeze and then bring out the food as it goes in the month. And and those are all practical ways that you can start to reduce food waste. But there is another really important one, which is what does a good Ramadan table look like? And I think we have visions, you know, it's a bit like Christmas, isn't it? It's kind of there's a full table and the food is kind of wafting like in a cartoon and you know it's kind of smells really great and everybody's got their favorite dish but is that what 
we think a Ramadan table should look. And I think one of the big challenges, um, and I'm sure you've scrolled through Instagram, is the kind of Instagrammation of Ramadan. It's like everybody's got this perfect table and it's like, look at me, I just cooked 55 dishes. I, I have to be honest, as a mother of two and looking after elderly parents, the idea of having that much on the table feels very stressful to me um, and very tiring. But, you know, it's like, can we rethink what a table should look like 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 maybe a table that has less should be more attractive to us but that's kind of quite a difficult thing to revitalize or I, there's a really interesting statistic um from dubai that women in ramadan spend twice as long in the kitchen compared to the rest of the year which is just madness if you're only eating a lot less than you are during the rest of the year so maybe we should just give chefs one night off and you have to just cobble together that is so true about people spending more time in the kitchen and you know the instagrammable iftars that you're talking about like the more the better the more impressive uh, an iftar table that you're providing and even like at Uh, the community centers and mosques they also have uh, free iftars don't they and they have plastic and disposable plates and bottles and and they're all very convenient aren't they to to have them but is there a way that these big iftar events could be held as effectively without those extra disposable plates you're right that it's not just the food that we have to think about in ramadan there's all the peripherals that go with it and disposables is a huge part of it and i think there are some really pioneering mosques that are thinking about how to address that so one of the local mosques i go to will say bring your own cup for tea or coffee um so you know can people take things with them you know how do you make sure that everything is recycled properly I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering if you could have a plate that then doubles up as a box that you could take home with you. I think it requires people to be innovative in the way that we think about this problem rather than sort of rocking up, starving after a day, scoffing some really delicious food and then just leaving to to the mess. Like we really need to think about that community spirit. And you know what? I think this year is going to be super exciting because it's really the first Ramadan that everyone's going to be able to go back to the mosque and be communal after two years of being at home actually just I want to add to that though a lot of people in the first year of 2020 did say that suddenly they found a new meaning of Ramadan because they didn't have that pressure of people coming around and having to host a big iftar I wonder if you know we need to hold on to that feeling I think of how how do you keep the meaning of Ramadan without having to cook and prepare as much food and then inevitably throw it away yeah, it's probably reassessing and realigning uh, towards a, a better, more holistic kind of Ramadan experience, isn't it? And that includes being greener. Um, so could you give us um, some examples uh, about the initiatives that are trying to reduce food waste during Ramadan? And I think the UK is still a little bit further behind than a lot of other places. So in Dubai, they've tried some interesting things where they put community fridges in different locations and people can go and leave some food in there for other people to collect. And I think that's been quite popular, both in terms of a community spirit, but also in terms of ensuring that food isn't wasted. I know that there are mosques that have been trying to make sure that anything that's left over might be given to a homeless shelter after that. And I think some of the really interesting new ideas that should be picked up is certainly in that first lockdown and even in last year's lockdown, there were community groups that would start to deliver food 
to people who are more in need. And of course, those can be portioned in a more correct way. And that's one of the foundational principles. It's like, how do you portion your food better so that you can consume all of the things that you actually eat? So in a way, for example, one thing that all of us can do is, you know, when you cook something and there's like a bit left over and you're not quite sure what to do with that bit, one thing you can do is either reduce the amount you cook so it's just right or actually weirdly increase the amount so the amount you have left is actually enough for a separate meal mm. and that way so you get the reduce... right balance with that yeah yeah so yeah. it feels kind of weird if you cook more but actually then you can use that for a whole separate meal to to carry on with or just reinventing leftovers you know I'm I have to say I know a lot of friends who walk around with a bottle of chili sauce when you go out and you know maybe maybe <laughs> you can have a Ramadan sauce I don't know now, you work as vice president of Ogilvy, which is an Islamic branding and marketing consultancy. So how do you balance marketing, which drives consumerism, with trying to live more simply and sustainably? This is a real tension at the heart of Islamic ethics. So Islam, compared to many other faith practices, actually supports and encourages you know, commercial enterprise, innovation, business development, new ideas. And so the idea that you might have a business that creates something new is encouraged. But to your point, the idea of just using resources and then wasting them is something that's abhorred. And the underpinning of all of these businesses needs to be ethical. And so we go back to this idea of paradoxes within, you know, Islamic principles. It's how do you keep growing and create business and create enterprise and community investment and value while at the same time as not having disposable goods and actually having perhaps not excessive amounts of goods? There's nothing to prohibit you from enjoying things, but when it becomes excessive, that's where the Islamic principles tend to kick in and kind of you know wag their finger at you and say, you know what, you need to just step back. And we have this overarching concept of the Khalifa, the steward, of the earth and that also means in terms of the ethics so i think what a lot of young muslim startups which are now actually growing into slightly bigger businesses started to do was think about muslim needs and muslim values and building those into their products and services and brands and i think the most innovative of those have thought about the ethics of sustainability recycling you know finance advertising but at the same time as they were doing that, the young Muslim consumer generation was growing and seeing itself recognized and wanting those products as a way to assert their identity and as a way to communicate who they are. And I think we've come to an interesting point in that development, which we're about 20 years into that, where I think there is going to be a divergence between the two, which is, I think, very interesting for us to observe what happens. So the ethics that Muslims were pioneering are now being taken up by wider audiences, but our young Muslims who wanted to see themselves reflected in consumption going to return to the idea of ethical consumption, or is that are they going to be left with the consumption part of it? Shalina Jan Muhammad. Well, we started the podcast with Mara White in her kitchen. Let's see how that vegan iftar dish is getting on. So now that everything's in the pot, all the potatoes and the peas and the onions, um, I've added a litre and a half of water in there and I've put it onto medium heat, cover it up 
with a lid and let that cook for about 15 to 20 minutes while the potatoes soften and then that's it and then it's done and ready to serve um i'm also boiling some rice and um, i'm going to be serving that with fresh boiled rice later that all sounds so delicious mara i wish i was coming over for iftar to yours right now And as we come to the end of this podcast, how optimistic are Ajmal Masroor and Shalina Jam Muhammad about the success of the greener Ramadan movement? Firstly, Ajmal Masroor. I love the idea of green Ramadan. Ramadan should always be green. In fact, a Muslim's life should be green 12 months of the year, not just in the month of Ramadan. But let's make this Ramadan or every Ramadan a turning point. Ramadan is an opportunity to train ourselves inside and out, change our habits, our thoughts, even our eating patterns. But materialism is a problem. There's a nice saying of the Prophet, even if you have a date, one date, share that date with somebody that you love. If that's all you possess, just split that date into small pieces. And I've actually experienced it. I remember when I went to pilgrimage in Mecca and it was the time to break my fast. And because there are millions of people in the mosque, it's impossible for you to go outside. There was a chap next to me. I didn't have any food. I had a glass of water with me. And he had a date in his pocket. He took it out from his envelope. And then he saw me having nothing. He split his date up in half. And he gave me half. And he took half. It was a stranger. That spirit of sharing has disappeared, I believe, from our materialistic society. I think we always have to be optimistic that there's going to be change. But the signs are looking very positive. We have... Muslims who are now thinking more carefully about these very deep-rooted Islamic concepts, the concept of being the Khalifa of the earth, being responsible for the earth, of looking for tayyib foods, so a good wholesome food, for Muslims who who are thinking about asraf, the, the idea of waste and where wastage is going, but also thinking about those around the world who have a lot less And one of the challenges, of course, is always to connect what's on your plate with the hunger somebody else might be suffering somewhere else in the world because there doesn't always seem to be a natural connection. But of course, there is. The the more food we waste, the more resources that are being wasted and the less there is to distribute around the world. It's quite a simple connection. And so I think people are starting to feel that these ideas are more relevant to who they are. And this younger generation I think is going to really keep pushing the boundaries, keep changing the way and our expectations of how we do iftar. And of course, children are the ultimate pest of power because if they want to create change, they will force their parents into doing things differently. And I think possibly the other place where the change could come is you know, within a sort of very tight-knit family structure where people do have quite close relations with their extended families is there may be a matriarch or a patriarch who sets the tone of what a good Ramadan would look like and actually one of the interesting places for us to look at interventions is a reminder perhaps of the planet-saving activities that were taken for granted in the past that we've kind of forgotten about with all our easy consumption and easy access to food and and empowering those older voices perhaps to reset the tone of Ramadan. So a kind of pincer movement with our older generations and our children to make sure that the, the rest of us can be empowered to create that change. So I'm definitely hopeful. And what practical tips could they give us for a less wasteful Ramadan this year? Firstly, Ajmal Masroor. So I would say to people, 
that yes, when you go into the supermarkets, you would see shelves upon shelves and promotions upon promotions of Ramadan this, Ramadan that, bargain here, bargain there, buy one, get three free for the month of Ramadan, don't fall for it. It is a definite one-way ticket to wastefulness. But if we are more conscious of what we're eating, so eat more wholesome food and fried fatty food. Eat more vegetables. Eat less meat. Consume very little sugar if you can. Get rid of the fizzy drinks that you so much love. Get rid of things that clog up your arteries. These are your personal green manifesto that you need to really sign up to. But there is a bigger green manifesto that we need to sign up to called the collective interest of the society. And we must remember in Islam, collective interest is always more important and supersedes individual interest. If my food consumption, if my behavior is going to destroy the collective interest of people around me or harm the earth, I have to be more vigilant about my own actions. For me, I'm going to be looking at three things, and this is based on some of the work that we've looked at from a behavioral science perspective of how it can be easy and painless to change our behaviors. So the first is when we're thinking about what the menu will be for iftar, to plan the menu and then reduce it by one dish. Nice and easy, less cooking as well and less cleaning up afterwards. The second one is to find a really lovely plate or a dish where the leftovers can be gathered together and then that can be put out the next day so that we can we can serve that up. So that also really great way of saving food, but also starters for next day are already done, which I have to say again as a working mum is a is a great moment of joy. And the third part, of course, will be to try and stock up in advance with um, food in the freezer and then just to take out exactly what's needed for that particular evening. So three really easy things, three easy hacks to reduce food waste, but also three things just to make life a little bit easier at a very hectic time. Shalina Jan Muhammad, ending this edition of Things Unseen, the podcast for people of faith and those who are spiritually curious. I'm Ramona Ali. And Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. Thank you for listening. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.